Well, I have learned that there are two kinds of people in this world. There are either those who love pumpkin spice lattes uh, and those who think they're overrated. And so we're the pumpkin spice latte lovers. We're the ones that think it's overrated. Praise God, hallelujah. Maybe we just lost some people in our church, but overrated. Hey, let me speak to the men really quick, and I don't want to be too redundant here, but fellas, I've been doing ministry for a while now, and I've done my fair share of men's retreats, and I've watched what God can do. I've watched what God can do. And I would tell you that you are missing an incredible opportunity of what God could do in your life uh, next weekend. If you don't have anything that's keeping you from going, I would tell you to register and go. I'm bringing a friend of mine from the East Coast out to speak, and he's going to be a huge blessing to all those that are in attendance. And so hopefully, if you haven't registered and you have the opportunity to register, you'll do that in the next couple of days. Uh, I promise you, you will not regret it. Well, uh, if you got my email, if you were here last week, you heard me say that we're going to take a break from our Infomercial Jesus series because I feel like God has been impressing on me to bring a specific message to our church. And if you're new here to Trace, I don't do this very often, maybe once at the most twice a year. And I would start with this. And the reason I'm doing this, and let me back up and say this, what I thought was just going to be one message, I think is going to end up being two messages. And so um, I'll probably be continuing this next week, uh, but I will wrap it in the Infomercial Jesus series. There's a word. Does God ever give you a word? Just a word. There's a word that I have been spending a lot of time on here recently, thinking a lot about it, thinking about why maybe this word is sticking in my mind and I can't get past it. And the word is significant. And, and maybe it's because what we see God doing in the life of our church right now is significant. Can anybody argue that? I mean, it's significant to see all the lives that have been changed, all the baptisms that we've had. But I keep coming back to God and say, God, what, what is it about this word? Why is it sticking now? And what do I need to do? What do I need to pay attention to? And ultimately what I came to understand is that if I'm going to think about this word significant, then I need to probably bring definition to it. And the definition that I brought to it, I didn't even look up what the actual definition was, but the definition that I brought to it and what I wrote down one day is, There is nothing significant that can happen without strategy and sacrifice. There's nothing significant that will happen without strategy and sacrifice. And I really want you to know this today as your pastor, that I want something significant for your life. I want God to do something significant through your life. And maybe you're like me, when I think about what it'll be like when I shut my eyes for the very last time at the end of my life, like leading up to that moment, I imagine I will be looking back reflecting and assessing what was significant in my life. What did my life accomplish? And I'll probably do that through the lens and the context of being a husband and being a father and being a pastor and being a friend. But I hope, just like you will, that my life accomplished something significant that will far outlive my little bit of time and my little bit of opportunity on this earth. And so the more that I've spent time on this, the more that I keep coming back to this idea of, okay, if significant things don't happen without strategy and without sacrifice, then I want to talk about that with our church. And so today what I want to do is I want to talk about the strategy side of things, because listen to me, I want something significant to happen in your life, in your faith, in your marriage. And so that won't happen without strategic steps, intentional steps that we put in place. 
And so let me begin here, and this will be a little bit redundant, but for those of you that are new, I wanna revisit some things that I feel like I've said over the past year. Some of you remember me saying that I feel a deeper sense of burden now as a pastor than I ever have in my life. And I've been pastoring for 15 plus years now. And the reason I feel this deep sense of burden is because I know it's only going to grow in difficulty to stand firm in your faith, to stand firm in the gospel, no matter what happens. And you've heard me say this, that I wanna do everything in my power as long as I'm the pastor, lead pastor of this church. I wanna do everything in my power to educate, equip, and empower you to stand firm in the gospel, no matter what happens. And I've often pointed to this passage in Philippians chapter one when Paul says, whatever happens, no matter what happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together for one for the faith of the gospel without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. You probably see it, that the opposition against us seems to only be growing that there is a spirit of antagonism that is directed at those of us who choose and desire to stand firm in our faith no matter what happens. I often think back to the words of Jesus in John chapter 17, specifically his prayer for us. It was his number one prayer for us. It was his main prayer for us. He said, God, I pray that they would be one, that we would be unified. And I imagine that one of the motivations for Jesus in saying that prayer for us is that he knew and he knows that it's so much easier for us to stand firm when we stand together. Church, do you know that we need each other more than we think we do sometimes? We need each other. We need each other to stand firm, to lock arms, to encourage one another, to pray for one another, to carry one another's burdens. That's how you stand firm. And if I were to kind of assess a lot of what I've seen over the last year, specifically with Christians making some pretty big compromises in their life, I would tell you that oftentimes, not always, but oftentimes it comes on the other side of them dismissing the importance of what we do in here. Dismissing the importance of doing life with other believers that are wanting to pursue Jesus as well. And after they begin to dismiss that or at least undermine uh, how important it is, I see compromises begin to start taking place. But the opposite is also true because I am also watching many of you desire to stand firm, this desire to stay in the fight no matter what happens. And it's interesting because I would say one of the number one reasons why people have asked to meet with me recently and one of the number one things people are seeking my advice on has something to do with a situation in their life that has stirred something up in their spirit because they feel like if they're not careful, compromise is on the table. Like if they don't approach this particular situation that has caused their spirit to stir, if they don't approach it the way that they know God wants them to, that there is potentially going to be a compromise that they make. And so they're seeking my advice and my counsel. And sometimes this is relational in nature, but here recently, it seems to be more occupational in nature. I'll have people come to me and say things like, hey, my company is doing this thing and the expectation is for me to get on board, but I don't agree with it. And I'm trying to figure out how to live in this tension. 
I have school teachers and administrators come to me more often than you think, and they're telling me, hey, our school's implementing this new policy or procedure, and I can't support it, but I love these kids. I love these kids. I'm not gonna give up on these kids. What do I do? I have people come to me and say, hey, I've got a close friend or family member. Sometimes it's, sometimes it's their own child, and they're deciding to go down a path that they can't follow, and they want to show this friend or loved one or family member that they love them, but they don't want to compromise their convictions, and so they're living in this tension, but they know if they're not careful, compromise is on the table. Now, just by a show of hands, if any of you can identify with anything that I just said when it comes to that tension, will you just raise your hands? Yeah, look around. This is why I feel like God has led me to actually enter into this particular message today. Guys, as your pastor, I wanna help you to stay in the fight. I wanna help you to process through the different things that are stirring in your spirit that are causing you to step back and think to yourself, am I doing what I need to do in this particular situation? Am I approaching this particular conflict the way that God and my spiritual convictions are leading me to? I wanna do everything that I can to educate, equip, and empower you to stand firm in the gospel no matter what happens. But on that note, I feel like I need to challenge some of you because in this particular area, you're potentially growing spiritually complacent. In other words, the way that I would say this is if you're not feeling any tension, if you're not feeling any tension, you might not be paying enough attention. If you're not feeling any tension, you might not be paying enough attention to the fact that God is trying to stir something within you. And instead of saying, whatever happens, no matter what happens, I'm ready to stand firm in the gospel. Instead of saying, whatever happens, it starts to sound more like this. Whenever it works for me, whenever it's convenient, Whenever I don't have to sacrifice anything, whenever it doesn't challenge my own wants and desires, whenever it doesn't affect my job, whenever it doesn't require me to challenge someone that I love, whenever it fits, I think you know this, but one of my jobs as a pastor, and again, a synonym for pastor in the New Testament is shepherd. I don't often think of myself as a shepherd, but that is one of my responsibilities. A shepherd is supposed to guide, right? A shepherd is supposed to say, hey, we're supposed to be going this way. A shepherd is supposed to look and see where the potential dangers are coming and to help us navigate around them. And a shepherd at times when people get off the path or you know, in the context of actually being a shepherd, a sheep, which is kind of sad that we're referred to as sheep because they're really dumb animals, but that's what we are, I guess, at times. Um, but my job is this, like, hey guys, we're getting off course. We're going down a path that's not leading us to, towards the heart of God. It's leading us away from the heart of God. It's my, it's my job to challenge our spiritual complacency. And I need my challenge as well. Today, what I wanna do, today what I feel like God has led me to say specifically as we think about doing something significant, and I hope that we all want that. I hope that we all have a desire in us not just to want something significant for our own lives and faith, but want to see God do something significant in the life of this church. 
So what I wanna do today to help kind of build that foundation, because if we have the wrong foundation, we will only go backwards. And so to build this foundation, I wanna talk about how we need to pay more attention to the tension in our lives, more specifically in the tension between the subjects of truth and grace. That when it comes to the fullness of these two subjects, which is our namesake, most of you know this, our name, Trace, comes from putting the word truth and grace together, and we didn't do grace and truth because Gruth doesn't have the same ring to it, does it? <laughs> that joke is still working. I've been telling it for six years. I'm gonna keep saying it. But there's tension. Some of the tensest, is that a word? Some of the most tense moments in the life of this church in the last six years have been when we were trying to navigate the tension between these two things well. And we don't get it right every time. But many of you would say that one of the reasons why you're calling this your home church is because we're doing a decent job at it. And I would tell you that we work hard at that because we believe good theology. Good theology actually exists in the tension of truth and grace. That the tension between truth and grace is where good theology lives. And if you're new to the church and it's like, well, what does that even mean? Theology just, theology just means the study of God. And the longer that I do this, the more that I have come to respect and realize that the tension between truth and grace, specifically the fullness of both, I'm gonna talk about that here in a moment. It's not only where good theology lives, it's where Jesus lives. And the fullness and the tension. And sometimes we just wanna make it easier. None of us like tension, do we? And so we try to make it easier on ourselves. I'm gonna talk more about that too. But let me show you where we get this idea of the fullness of grace and truth out of John's gospel in chapter one. And I wanna show you something that, often, that I see people often miss, but I'll begin in verse 14. It says, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth. Now we read here, and you've heard us use this verse a lot if you've been coming here for any amount of time, that the fullness of truth and grace comes from Jesus, but where did Jesus come from? The Father. And if Jesus comes from the Father full of truth and grace, guess, guess what your Father in heaven is full of? Truth and grace. And so if we want to accurately represent the fullness of who our Heavenly Father is to a lost and broken world, we better get these two subjects right. I'll continue in verse 16. Out of his fullness, there's that word again, we have all received grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Trace, truth and grace is not just our namesake. They are what ground us. They are what guide us. Many of you know that there is no subject that we won't talk about in this church. And truth guides us in that direction that we don't wanna minimize God's truth at all. And so even if that means having really hard conversations that make some people leave our church sometimes, we're okay with that. And I would tell you that as soon as I feel like I don't wanna speak on something that I know God would want me to speak on, I need to hang it up and hand it off to somebody else. Because this is not about me and it's not about you. It's not about my comfort, it's not about your comfort. This is about God's truth. And so truth guides us to talk about everything we feel like we need to talk about in this church. But grace, grace reminds us that we should never speak that truth, whatever that is, at the dismissal or the undermining of somebody who is 
maybe experienced whatever that truth is in a way that has led them to feel broken or lost or confused or I don't know what am I supposed to do with this. And so when we talk about truth, we're not going to undermine the fact that a lot of people are lost and broken, far from God, still seeking clarity on whatever it is that we're talking about. And so grace reminds us to, to speak about hard subjects without undermining those that it might directly influence. And once again, many of you would say that you have made this your home church because you believe we've done a decent job at this. But listen to me. Only when we pursue the fullness of both of these will we experience what I call a healthy theological tension. And since we don't like tension, we will naturally, even subconsciously, try to avoid that. We will try to avoid this conflict. I mean, think about it for a second. Is there any context in which we think tension is a good thing? I love a little good tension in my marriage, right? Said no one ever. Or parenting. Or friendship. Or after Thanksgiving, when you try to put on your favorite jeans again. And it's like, we don't like that kind of tension. It's natural for us to choose a path where there will be less tension. It's natural for us. But when it comes to our faith, and please don't miss what I say next, but when it comes to our faith, avoiding tension is what causes us to make compromises. Avoiding that natural tension that should exist between truth and grace is when we start to subjectively think about how our, our faith can look different. It doesn't have to be that. I don't have to say that. I don't have to stand up for that. And we begin to make concessions and concessions ultimately lead to compromises which is why today I want to help us to see why it's so important to pay more attention to the tension. Because the tension, listen to me, the tension reminds us that something is at stake. When you feel that tension around the subjects of truth and grace and that scenario, whatever that situation is that is stirring something up in your spirit and you're like, I'm not sure what to do there, that should remind you that at that point when you embrace that tension that something is at stake. Maybe the situation is with that family member who has gone down a path that you can't follow, but they're looking for your approval. Maybe it's when your employer is asking you to endorse something that you don't agree with. Maybe it's when a group, a friend group starts embracing and celebrating ideas that are contrary to your life as a Christian. Listen to me. When you feel that tension, something is at stake. The relationship is at stake. Your job might be at stake. Your convictions are at stake. And in those moments when you begin to wrestle with God on the decision that you need to make, on how you need to move forward in the midst of that tension, I would tell you those can become some of the greatest defining moments of your life if you will stand firm in your faith, no matter what happens. Can I ask you to wrestle with a question this morning that is incredibly difficult to wrestle with? Is there anything or anyone worth compromising for the sake of the gospel? anything or anyone. And so when you find yourself in those seasons of tension and you're trying to figure out how to move forward, you're trying to figure out how to stand firm, if you will stand firm in the fullness of grace and truth, those will become some of the greatest faith-defining moments of your life, building a stronger foundation underneath your feet so that the next time that you face a similar situation, you will find your feet are standing on more solid ground. Friends, the tension between truth and grace is where good theology lives.
Now, to better illustrate that and to give you a visual, I'm gonna ask you guys to put this table up here for me. And I've used a similar illustration like this before in the past, but I'm gonna change it up a little bit today. And I want you to remember this, and maybe the visual will help you, because I would tell you that truth and grace, the fullness of those, that's our strategy. It always has been and it always will be. That's our strategy. And so if we want to accomplish something significant in our individual lives, if we want to accomplish something significant in the life of this church, I would tell you that the strategy, the intentional steps, have to be the pursuit always of the fullness of both grace and truth. You see, this has always been the target. The fullness of both truth and grace has always been what God has called us to pursue. But what often happens, because we don't like the tension, right? We don't like the tension, and so in order to get rid of the tension, we have to minimize either grace or truth. Oftentimes it's truth, but it could be either one. And so because we naturally start to move away from this feeling of conflict and tension where it's like, well, if I just minimize some of that, if I don't say everything, if I withhold some grace and I withhold some truth, then maybe it won't feel as tense and your, you'll, you'll, your life will naturally kind of lend itself to that. And so now what we have is what some people would still argue, well, this is a balance. I think I'm close. Well, I'm balanced. I've got a, I've got a balance between grace and truth, but listen to me. That's why the, the apostle John specifically said it's fullness. Do you know why he didn't say balance? And I hear people say balance all the time, specifically talking about these subjects, where it's like, we need to be balanced with truth, truth and grace. It's never been about balance, because watch, watch, watch. You can be balanced and still represent low amounts of each. And when you're representing low amounts of each, the rest of that gap becomes subjective. This is subjectivity. When you stop being full of both grace and truth, you're creating space for subjectivity. And let me say this as clearly as I can, the gospel was never subjective. The gospel was never meant to be subjective. And so what happens is we start saying, well, I don't, I mean, it's, it's work, right? I mean, I don't need to necessarily bring all my faith and, and my convictions to my you know, job and man, but I love them so much and if I actually speak up, if I try to stand firm in this particular scenario and situation, I might, I might lose them. And I would tell you, listen to me, when it's one of your kids, this becomes very difficult. And I'm gonna say something, maybe the hardest thing that a parent in here has ever heard, but when you compromise and you sacrifice the convictions of your faith, even for your kid, your kid just became your God. And kids make horrible gods. Amen, I mean, come on, somebody. <laughs> I am not suggesting any of this is easy. What I am suggesting is that the gospel was never meant to be subjective. And here's the natural way that this should take place. And this should be something that causes us to be more and more thankful. You see, when you decided to give your life over to Jesus, he didn't just give you enough grace, right? He didn't just say, hey, I'm gonna get close, and then you know what, the rest of it's on your own. In other words, I'm gonna forgive you if. I'm going to show you a new life if. I'm going to give you eternal life if. 
I'm gonna give you the abundant life if, no, what he said was, if you put your faith and trust in me, I don't need you to do anything to earn that, okay, on the front end. I don't need you to do anything to earn that. I'm gonna do it all for you. I'm gonna give you my entire life. I'm gonna take the place that you should be on that cross. I'm gonna surrender everything that I have so that you can have the new and abundant life. I am going to do it all. And listen to me, church, the natural response when you understand the grace of God the natural response is to want to begin to be filled with his truth, to want to, as Luke 9, 23 says, if you want, Jesus says, if you want to follow me, give up your own way. If you want to follow me, if you get what I'm doing for you, if you understand my grace, then I'm going to ask that you give up your own way, that you deny yourself, pick up your own cross, Follow me daily. In John chapter 10, he says, the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I came to give you life and to have it abundantly. You ready? Ready? Watch. It's his abandoned life for abundant life. Abandoned life for abundant life. When you understand what Jesus did for you and what he's doing for us, and the grace that he's given us, and the fact that he wiped the slate clean, when you fully understand his grace, then you start to see the necessity in listening to his words from John 14, 6. I am the way. Stop trying to do it your own way, right? Because that's what we try to do. I'm gonna spill water everywhere. We, tr we try to do it our own way. Well, I don't need to be full of either of these. I can just have enough. And as long as I have enough, then I can balance life out. Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth. And I am the life. No one gets to the Father except through me. And the pursuit, the strategy, has always been the fullness of both. And without the fullness of both, it leaves room for subjectivity, and subjectivity was never supposed to be a part of the gospel. I pray, yeah. Let me build something for you. I'm not gonna use that quote again, Jana, so you can just pass that up. What I see a lot of people do I did this, is, let me say this differently. If you're 25 or younger, I wanna to talk to you specifically really quick. And I would tell you one of the greatest issues I take up with your generation, we call this Generation Z, is that you, you rely and value and depend way too much on your own feelings to arrive at your, your own truth. And when you do that, what you're doing is you're saying that you know better than God. And one of the things that Jesus has asked us clearly to do when we understand what he's done for us is that we start to wage war against the sin in our life. Like he never wanted, a part of his truth is that we never become comfortable with sin because we know we're gonna be forgiven. That's not, that was never part of the equation. But what happens is I'm watching this younger generation, and I love you, I'm not trying to give you a guilt trip, but 
I just watch you depend and value and rely way too much on your own feelings to lead you into some new enlightened truth. And I'm not just talking about an outside unbelieving world, I'm talking about Christians. But Jesus said, no, 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 listen, I want you to wage war against sin. Yes, they're all forgiven, but I want you to wage war against the sin in your life. If you don't believe me, then believe the apostle Paul in Romans chapter five. He said, listen, God's law was given so that all people could see how sinful they were. But as people sinned more and more, God's wonderful grace became more abundant. So just as sin ruled over all people and brought them to death, now God's wonderful grace rules instead, giving, <clears throat> excuse me, giving us right standing with God and resulting in eternal life through Christ Jesus, our Lord. Jump over to chapter six. Well then, should we keep on sinning? so that God can show us more and more of this wonderful grace? Of course not. Of course not. Since we have died to sin, how can we continue to live in it any longer? Maybe some of you have heard me communicate it this way. If sin doesn't lose its appeal, as you mature in Christ, you're not maturing in Christ. Grace is God giving you the gift of eternal life but not from anything that you did or deserve. Truth is God saying, now I need you to abandon your way of life. Grace is God saying to everyone, come to me just as you are, but truth is God saying, don't stay as you are. Grace is what brought you to restoration, but truth is what will lead you to transformation. Grace is what picks you up and puts you back on your feet. Thank you, Jesus. Even after incredible failure, but truth says, now stand firm in the gospel no matter what happens. Let me tell you what grace and truth are not. And I hope that you're starting to feel the tension. I want you to feel the tension. Truth is not dismissing those who don't think like us. Truth is not shutting people down if they have doubts in their faith. Truth is not going through spiritual motions without surrender. Truth is not subjective depending on how you feel about something. Truth is not an idea. Truth is a person. Grace, it's not a license to sin. Grace is not affirming something or someone you know is wrong or sinful. That's called, what is that called? Enabling them. Grace is not staying silent on things that you know there are spiritual implications at stake. Let me slow down and say that again. Grace is not staying silent when you know there are spiritual implications at stake. Grace is not loving people without accountability. Grace is not doing what you want just because you feel it should be okay. Grace saves you, but salvation is not subjective on what and who you think should get people into heaven. The fullness of grace and truth is where good theology lives. It's where Jesus lives, and it should always be our pursuit. This is our strategy. If we want to do anything significant so where when we get to the end of our life, we shut our eyes for the very last time and before we do, we reflect back. I, <clears throat> I promise you, this is the best strategy in your life, in your faith, to lead you to a place of significance. Well, Aaron, that sounds like a lot of tension. Exactly. Today, I want you to pay more attention to the tension because there's too much at stake. I'm gonna pray for us, and I'm gonna lead us into a time of response. Father, 
I pray that as we go into this time of response, that you would move in the lives and the minds, hearts, and souls of everybody in this room, including me. And that if we have gotten sidetracked, if we have started to make the gospel and our faith subjective and try to make it fit into our narrative, God, I pray that you would challenge that. I pray that you would wreck that. God, if there's something very clear that was demonstrated on this table, if there's something very clear demonstrated or mentioned in something that I said this morning that is causing somebody to think that they are on the verge of compromise, that they have began to maybe make it up on their own, to change it so it doesn't lead to conflict, diminish the truth, so they don't feel like they have to say anything that's gonna be challenging or that could lead to something uncomfortable. God, I, I pray, Father, I pray that you would help us to see that clearly, that you would help us to see how clear it is from your word, specifically in John's gospel, that you want us to reflect Jesus. And the only way that we can reflect Jesus is to be full of both of these. Now we're gonna get this wrong to some extent, God. Thank you for your grace in that. But I pray that we would all have it within us to wanna continue to pursue it, to grow in it, to become more full of each. And God, when those situations are presented in front of us that stir something in our spirit that shows us compromises on the table, that we would listen to the conviction of the Holy Spirit, that we would learn with each situation how to stand firm that we would start to de depend and rely on each other more in those situations because we need each other, God. Father, I pray that something significant, something significant would happen today. I pray that something significant would happen in the life of this church as we continue to pursue the fullness of both of these, that no matter no matter what our aspirations are, no matter what our greatest hopes or desires are, that if we don't start with the right foundation, if we're not careful, we'll just go backwards. God, I think you've made it clear that this is the right foundation, that this is the strategy. These are the steps. Help us, show us how to be full of both. We love you, we pray this in Christ's name, amen.